listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this March the 17th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we've been doing on Wednesdays is taking a look at a Lenten theme that I've been preaching on, and that is the churches of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. These are messages of Jesus Christ to the churches and has a lot to do with even the season of Lent. Today, we're going to look at the church of Pergamum, P-E-R-G-A-M-U-M. So let me read, first of all, chapter 2, verse 17. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, as we've said a number of times, it's difficult at the dinner table to read parts of the Bible and have children understand it. And Revelation is one of those areas because of the kind of language that is used. A lot of metaphors, uh, similes, picture language, and it's not as obvious as, say, the gospel writings, where it says that Jesus, blind man, sent him to a pool, and the blind man could see. That's pretty obvious. So there, there's two things you do when you have a Bible study and a sermon. You, first of all, have to give a proper interpretation of what happened. But then you have to give a proper application as to why God put it in the Bible. So healing the blind man, the invitation is pretty obvious. And nobody's going to say that there was no blind man there. No, that was a historical fact. But then what does it mean for us? Well, the text itself talks about that the Pharisees who said, we can see, were actually blind because they thought they could see the word of God in its application and that they were saved because they weren't like, oh, various people 
who are working with the Romans, tax collectors, prostitutes, etc. And therefore, they were following the laws of the ceremonies and therefore were saved. Well, they did not see who really was the Savior. They were blind. And so that's a message to the congregation. It's not enough to know the historical elements of Jesus' life as is summarized in the Apostles' Creed. You really need to know what is the importance to you. So we first of all will look at the city of Pergamum uh, to find out exactly what the application is. The city has 200,000 volumes, and there was a temple, and the temple and the altar was to Zeus. Remember, he was the head god, and therefore there were other gods like Poseidon or Neptune, depending if you're Roman or Greek, etc. There was also an imperial cult in 29 BC, which was 25 years before Jesus was born. A temple was built for Augustus and the goddess of Rome. So the Christians were really surrounded in Pergamum by pagans and also number of Jews who did not like Christianity. So we begin with verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write. Now we've talked about this before. Angel means messenger. Uh, some of us believe it's a letter or a statement made by Jesus to the pastor, the messenger of Pergamum that God has put in place. Others believe that churches actually have an angel. In fact, in Solomon's temple, there were a whole number of angels, none of whom were worshipped, but they were the messengers of God. And recall, it was the angels who, well, an angel that drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. It was angels that talked to the shepherds. It was an angel that talked to Mary. It was an angel that spoke to the women at the empty tomb. So they indeed were messengers of God. You can have your choice whether the angel of each church is a pastor or a real angel. The first thing, and there's a outline of each of the churches that is somewhat similar. The first part of the outline is referring to Jesus Christ in a certain way. It says, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, how do you understand and interpret the passages of Revelation by knowing the code? And the code is scripture interprets scripture. A lot of these phrases are found in the scripture. Sometimes they're found within the book of Revelation or in the New Testament or 
particularly in the Old Testament. All you need to do is go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, and there Jesus is described as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, when this understanding of sword is used in the Bible, it always symbolizes the judgment of God. And in fact, it's talking about Jesus as the Son of Man. You see, Jesus was both God and man. He was the Son of God, but he also was the Son of Man, born of the Virgin Mary. And therefore, when you hear that phrase, Son of Man, that's one of Jesus' favorite phrases in talking about himself. And it means that with the two-edged sword, it is talking about the judgment that Jesus is bringing to the world. And he brings judgment not only to the unbelievers, like the Pharisees, talking to them that their real father is not Abraham, but Satan himself, but even to the disciples who were really ignorant of the true nature of the Messiah. On Palm Sunday, they loved to be on the right and the left of Jesus and asked him that they could be on the right and left. In fact, that's the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. And didn't realize that to be is not talking about the glory in eternity after Judgment Day in heaven. It's talking about the most glorious thing that Jesus did as the Son of Man while he was on earth, and that is the crucifixion. And as Jesus said, it's already been decided who's on my right and left. The two thieves, the one who believed his word through faith by the Holy Spirit and ended up with Jesus in paradise that day the spirit of each, the other who denied the words of Jesus from the cross and therefore did not end up in paradise. So this is the one who brings judgment to the world and that judgment or discipline brought to even believers is to wake them up to the fact that they are failing the will of God and therefore, as Jesus says, his message is one of repentance, just like John the baptizer, to prepare people for the hearing of the gospel where they will trust the promises of the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, every time we talk about the throne of Satan, that's where he is doing his greatest work, particularly going against Christians and the church. He persecutes Christians, and that is the sufferings endured by Christians 
when we talk about where's thrown remember he is head of the kingdom of Satan, which means that people in the kingdom of Satan will not be saved. But instead, when we are brought to faith by the Holy Spirit, we are now in the kingdom of Christ. So a lot of times when we talk about two kingdoms, we think we're talking about the secular kingdom here on earth with governments and the spiritual kingdom of the church. But also there's a second understanding of the two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, what happened in the kingdom of Satan, Satan's throne in Pergamum? Jesus says, yet you hold fast my name. So after introducing himself, Jesus speaks about that which he appreciates about the church. And in Pergamum, what he appreciates is what? You did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, who is Antipas? Obviously, he was a member of the church of Pergamum. He was a Christian. He was a faithful witness and became a martyr to the faith. He's only mentioned once in the Bible, and that is in this verse. Now, if you go outside the Bible, you have some historian who speaks about how Antipas died. He was a Christian, and the emperor hated Christians, so Antipas was burned to death by the emperor. What's the application for our lives? Well, think about it. You're in your congregation, and all of a sudden the police come, and they arrest the members of your congregation for being a Christian. And they take him to jail. They may even execute him. What do you think that's going to do in the minds of the rest of the Christians? There will be Well, in Pergamum, Jesus was very pleased fast to his name. They did not deny Jesus in recognizing the death of their member Antipas, who hated the Christian faith. But they remained close to Jesus. What's the application? With some people who may lose their jobs, secular jobs, in an office because they mentioned in a conversation that God is opposed to gay marriage or homosexuality. And in fact, yesterday I read in the newspaper here in St. Louis Dispatch that the Roman Catholic Church has decided 
and made a decision that they are not going to bless gay unions. And the reason was wonderful, because they cannot bless sin. So the Roman Catholic Church, uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and some other denominations recognize that homosexual behavior is a sin. It is not that we don't love homosexuals and desire them to come to church and hear the message and repent, but it is true that there is judgment that God brings against them because what they are doing is an abomination before Almighty God. So, hey, there are Christians who are really concerned about the terrible offense given to them because of their beliefs. I know one pastor who wanted to put up crosses in the front of the church representing those children who were murdered by abortion. And members of the congregation did not want to have that happen. And there are pastors who won't speak against these sins because of the fear that they will lose members of the congregation, that the group of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who no longer belong to a church will grow. Well, that wasn't Jesus' attitude at all. He spoke not only against the unbelievers of his day, but even his own disciples when they were working with the throne of Satan. Remember Peter, when Peter said, you're not going to go die. Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, the next part of each letter is what I have against this church. And the main thing he says, you have some there, now notice, not everybody, some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. All you need to do is go to the Old Testament. 22. Balak was the king of the Moabites, and he was going to go to war against the Israelites. So he encouraged a prophet at that time named Balaam. He wanted him to curse the Israelites. But Balaam refused to curse the Israelites, but he said enough to them to allow them to commit adultery and immorality with the Moabites. Now, there was a war that occurred, and Israel, because of God, defeated the Moabites. And in that war, Balaam was killed. So, what is happening is the sin of Balaam, what? Well, he wanted to please Barak, but he also wanted to please what was happening to the Israelites and be on their side. He was therefore the attempt to serve two masters, human wealth and God. Now, 
today. Uh, a lot of, shall we say, pastors won't preach the judgment of God because they're afraid to lose their pastorship or be removed. In fact, we know of pastors who were removed from even Lutheran congregations because they practice close communion, allowing only those who believe and are repentant and also realize this is the true body and blood of Christ. And therefore, they refuse to give the Lord's Supper to those that it will actually have a negative consequence upon. So that's what was happening in Pergamum. It's also what is happening a lot of times in the United States. Also, there are some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Nicolaitans was a small group of false teachers that of time, but they were there during the time of the church in Pergamum that Jesus is talking about. And there antinomian. It means anti against nomus, the law of God. And look at how many people are against that. They read the Ten Commandments. For example, thou shalt not commit fornication or adultery. And they say, well, that's old-fashioned. If I want to love somebody, then there's no reason we can't live together prior to marriage. So they're kind of like modern Nicolotanes. And how many churches bring discipline on young people or even older people decide to live together apart from marriage? for whatever reason. So there are some in Pergamum that God is concerned over. He says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, what is the sword of the mouth? Well, it's the use of the law. That's why law and gospel is so important. Jesus had John the baptizer prepare his way by preaching the law as people recognized that they were God. They realized that they were not properly going to heaven because of their sin. And they prayed to God and then heard the gospel of what Jesus had done on the cross in becoming their substitute in pain for their sin are saved. Verse 17. He here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To have an ear means to have an ear of faith, to believe. And here comes the next part of the outline, the promises. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, you're reading this to children six, seven years old, or maybe a little older, 
They don't know what the hidden manna is. What is this white stone? Well, that's why we go to the seminary. Learn the culture of that day. A white stone was very important in a courtroom. There was not or innocence. There was a judge. And the way a person to be innocent is that the judge would take a white stone and put it in a container. And that meant the person was innocent of the crime and could leave to you. What's the application? When did you receive that white stone of innocence? Also, what's the hidden manna? Hidden manna before the second sacrament, the Lord's Supper. The hidden manna is the body of Christ. Those who receive it, they receive what they know to be true. A lot in the city of Pergamum that we need to examine. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to, with West Magnets, talk about an issue facing the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.